Sports with Friends will begin in a moment, but first a message from the legal guys. Have you been in an accident? Call 1-800-THE-LAW-2. I was driving on a two-lane road, and someone sideswiped me, came into my lane, and smashed right into the passenger side door. Fortunately, and why I didn't say this sooner is because no one was in the car with me. If my young child or my spouse had been in the car, my life would have been changed forever. But I was driving in the left lane. I was not at fault. That's when you call the legal guys. If you were injured in an accident, if you're not at fault, these are the guys that helped me and they can help you too. Call 1-800-THE-LAW-2. That's 1-800-843-5292. If the accident has taken place within the last two years, they can help. Trust me, folks, when you're dealing with a car accident, especially when you're not at fault, there are a lot of complicated things involved with a car accident. These guys can make it easier. The legal guys. Call them. 1-800-THE-LAW-2. Now stay tuned for Sports with Friends. Everyone, welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. This is episode 326. We've got a really fun chat about a lot of great issues. We'll get to that in just a couple of seconds. I have to take care of a couple of things. One is a sponsor. Yes, a sponsor. The other is a personal thing that I want to get off my chest. We will be talking to the head odds maker at BovadaSportsBook.com about all the college and pro football his name is Patrick Morrow. Patrick, what are we talking about today? Well, Seth, I'm glad you've taken care of the off-the-field issues because I've got the on-the-field stuff nailed to a T. Yes, we will be talking about a lot of issues with the NFL, and we'll be talking to Patrick in just a few moments. Before we get to our guest today, um, this week, if you're listening to this podcast when it is released, uh, this week, Major League Baseball suffered a loss of a player who recently retired. Uh, Julio Lugo passed away. He was 45 and of an apparent heart attack in the Dominican Republic. The reason I'm bringing this up on Sports with Friends is because I knew Julio Lugo. I met him a long, long, long time ago. I met him exactly 27 years ago. I was 20 years old, and I was a play-by-play announcer along with five of my close friends and colleagues at Syracuse. We had a job in the summer of 1995 calling the games for the Auburn Astros of the New York Penn League. That was single A, short season A ball, and they were called the Astros then. They became the double days shortly after we left. But one summer, I called their games, and Julio Lugo was our shortstop. Uh, he was one of the people that I got to meet and I, I liked him and he liked me. We were, we were both very, very young. Um, Julio Lugo dealt with some off the field issues that led to his release from the Astros, uh, domestic violence. He was acquitted of that and his wife testified on his behalf. Uh, so I didn't want to make sure that was going to be the main topic of this. What Julio Lugo, uh, did he was he was a young kid, so I'm not going to sit here and say he was wise beyond his years. I'm not going to say something that I didn't know. Here's what I remember about Julio Lugo. 
This was a guy who, because of something he had done in amateur baseball, his picture was in the Hall of Fame. When the Astros traveled to Oneonta, Bob Watson, the late great Bob Watson, who was the general manager of the Houston Astros, came on the road trip and orchestrated a visit to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And Julio Lugo grabbed my arm and said, you have to come see this. And he wanted to show me and all of his teammates his picture was hanging that year in the Hall of Fame. And the joy that I remember seeing then really, really meant a lot to me, and it stuck with me. Uh, Julio went on to win the World Series with the Boston Red Sox in 2007, and we celebrated a, a very small bit, but we communicated then. Uh, we lost touch over the years. You know, I didn't find him on social media. I kept in touch with a few people from those Auburn years, all the broadcasters, there, you know, all my friends, John Bloom, Craig Grelu, people that have been on this podcast before. Uh, but Manny Acta was our manager. And he's the third base coach for the Seattle Mariners now. Um, and he was a former manager of Cleveland. Uh, we've kept in touch over the years. Manny Acta taught me so much about baseball. Uh, Ramon Castro was on that team. Chad Alexander was on that team. Um, they were just names. And it's so funny that I remember all of them uh, from that experience. It was an experience where I learned I didn't want to be in the minors. I wanted to cover Major League Baseball. And play-by-play -play was not the route uh, for me. Um, it was a thrill to do it. I was I was absolutely honored uh, to have gotten the gig. It was before my senior year. It was fantastic. Julio Lugo was 45 years old. Rest in peace. So I promise this episode is not going to be uh, morose and sad like that. I just wanted to give a mention for our friend Julio Lugo. A uh, guy who who I really dug and was uh, instrumental in the beginning uh, of of my career. If you've listened to Sports with Friends, and really if you've listened to my other podcast, The Hall of Justice, uh, you know what a fan I am of the Ralph Report, the Ralph Garman, Eddie Pence podcast. That I think, as somebody who is in podcasting, is the best podcast out there. And I f I, I learned about today's guest from that show. I then realized I've been reading him all along because I read Yahoo all the time, but I didn't realize I didn't connect the dots that the same guy who does a weekly appearance on the Ralph report actually is this writer for Yahoo. Um, Jay Busby is his name, and he is kind enough to join us here on Sports with Friends. This is literally the definition of a friend of a friend. Uh, Jay, <laughs> it's great to have you on. Thanks for, for doing this. Uh, welcome to Sports with Friends. How are you, man? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, there is only one Jay Bosby that I know of. There's there's a, another one that lives, I think, in Tennessee or something like that. He pops up. I have a, like all of us, I have a secret uh, Google uh, search on my own name. But uh -huh. uh, so, yeah, you know, thankfully, no no crimes have been committed uh, by the other Jay Busby. And so he's, he's probably more mad at me than I am at him at this point. There's a there's a great Twitter story. But I have to just ask the question, um, whose idea was the song? Which and song can I play the song as your intro? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was that was Ralph's. What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. All right. So now I feel much better. Now I feel <laughs> like we have uh, this. This feels more normal. Um, yes, there is a guy who took at Seth Everett on Twitter before I joined Twitter. And I, 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 I like 
I, I wanted it for a while, but I, I, I did the underscore thing. And I was just like, now it's been 10 years with the underscore, but like, he's my doppelganger. Yeah. It's, you know, you, you've got to stake out your territory quickly. I mean, I think that I, I went and grabbed a whole, every time that a new social media service pops up, I, I grab my name and even just, even if I never use it. So yeah, if I ever do get into dancing on TikTok, I think I've reserved Jay Busby there. So no, you did. Yeah. Smart. yeah, yeah. Book, bookmark that. Way to think ahead. <laughs> way, to, exactly. way to plan. Because, yeah. Because everyone wants to watch a middle-aged white dude dancing to uh, today's hits there really needs to be more representation <laughs> exactly <laughs> representation for old white guys that's what we want <laughs> well let's start off with the elephant in the room um ralph told the story uh, about how he met you but i want to hear it from your perspective uh how do you know that guy and why do you know that guy well i mean honestly it's just a case of of, of being a fan i was a huge started out a huge fan of Kevin Smith back in the day. I mean, as, as, as all of us were, um, and, and he's then, been on the hall of justice too. By the way. Uh, excellent. Excellent. He, he's such a great kid. I've actually never, I've, I've corresponded with him by email, but never met him. So, uh-huh. uh, but yeah. And then I listened to Hollywood Babylon. I live out, I live in Atlanta, very far from Los Angeles. So I'm not familiar with Ralph's work on when he was on the radio, but uh, I heard Hollywood Babylon and I loved it. And I knew that he was starting a new podcast and he was starting a new operation. I knew he was a sports guy. And I literally just reached out to him and said, Hey man, you know, you, wanna, so nice. you need a, you need a sports help. And so, yeah, we just, we just hit it off. And um, so, yeah, we do weekly sports talk, uh, NFL talk, and it's just, you know, it's a lot of fun. We just have a good time. But, and, I, but I think it's it. funny. You just, you didn't ask for anything. Like you just were like, listen, man, I can help. And if he didn't take you up on it, you were not going to be, downtrodden like you were you you just be you were doing something out of kindness well here's the deal i mean i have gotten so much enjoyment out of that dude and all of his work for so many years and you know obviously the the the, uh, the garmy you pay for it patreon and, I, and i'm a member of the garmy but you know he did he did he does so much hollywood babylon stuff and so yeah i felt kind of like yeah, I, i'm happy to help you know spend a yeah. few minutes of my day talking some sports for a guy whose work i've enjoyed why not do it and last thing on that, because this is not literally just a roast of, of, of Ralph Garman. Um, since in the pandemic, two things have happened. He stopped doing Hollywood Babylon. He says right. he's going to get it back, but we'll see. But the Ralph report is on cruise control. Like right. the show is literally now firing on all cylinders. It is one of the funniest things. And to be able to go throughout your day and the beauty of podcasts, you know, we can only produce this show weekly, right? I, I couldn't even dream of doing a, a daily podcast, but to have that as accompanying you on errands or commuting or a train ride or a bus ride, or even a plane ride. What a pleasure, because you literally, no matter how angry you are, you crack up. What I hope people do here <laughs> is I hope people get unadulterated sports talk. That's not commercial radio. You know yes. what I mean? So saying it's not the same thing, but that show you're literally laughing out loud. Well, I mean, you know, not that, that Ralph's head isn't already big enough from, from this entire segment, but it, it, yeah, you cannot, yeah, you cannot overestimate how difficult it is. And this is kind of an applicable for all media, how difficult it is to produce a consistent show on a consistent basis at a consistent level of quality. And, and people that can do that, like Ralph, they are really going to be, you know, at the forefront of media going forward because consistency and quality are two things that that are that, that seem easy enough to do, but are really, really difficult to execute. And, and so it doesn't matter whether you're a podcaster or whether you are a writer, whether you're, you're doing video, whether you're doing these middle-aged white guy TikTok videos, if you can continue <laughs> to produce it consistently so that your audience can rely on you, your audience knows, hey, when I get up in the morning, bang, that podcast is going to be waiting for me. 
that's such a huge, huge advantage and such a huge benefit. And so guys like Ralph are really, and, and you know, obviously many women that are doing it as well are all in very sure. much in the vanguard of, uh, of new media. Yeah. Whatever your, your, your drug of choice. I mean, there's literally a podcast for everything now. Right. I mean, so if, if you, if you, whatever your interest is, uh, you, you can find it. Uh, how did you hook on with Yahoo? I don't, we don't need to do the, this is your life. Uh, <laughs> I mean, how did you, you know, hook on with Yahoo and how long have you been there? And there's, when I think of Yahoo, I think of the movie frequency. Yeah. It starred uh, Jim Caviezel and Dennis Quaid. And through a ham radio, uh, this young kid, this, this guy got to talk to his father from 30 years ago. And there's a scene where the older Jim Caviezel meets the young best friend who's played by Noah Emmerich, uh, Gordo. And he tries to tell him something. And this is what I think of when I think of Yahoo. Listen, Gordo, uh, my name is Santa Claus. And I'm going to give you the biggest Christmas present that you ever had. I better give him my address then. No, 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 don't worry about it, kid. Now, this is important. Something you got to remember for a long time. Yahoo. What's that? Well, it's a, it's a magic word. It's like, um, like, like abracadabra, but even better. Try it out, kid. Yahoo. Yahoo. You got it, space cowboy. Okay, Gordo, you're two minutes a wrap. Now go upstairs and write it down. Okay, mister. I mean, Santa. Come on. Let's go. Stay there, John. I'll be right back. <laughs> Yahoo. So that yeah. they'll invest in Yahoo 30 yeah. years later. But yeah, throw, throw money in Yahoo, throw money in Amazon. You'd be, you'd be doing all right. More of our conversation with the great Jay Busby of Yahoo Sports and also the Ralph Report. I got to stop plugging that show as much. We are going to be getting into football issues with this podcast, but before that, there are both college and pro games this week. Let's check out the latest odds with the head odds maker at BovadaSportsbook.com, Patrick Morrow. All right, let's start in the colleges. And in the Big Ten, there's a massive matchup. Two top ten teams, the Ohio State Buckeyes, hosting your Michigan State Spartans. This is not the rivalry. You know, this is a rivalry. This is not the rivalry. The rivalry is Ohio State-Michigan. Here's my analogy. You know, the Yankees and the Red Sox is a big rivalry in baseball. This is what happens when the Red Sox play the Mets. Ah, <laughs> uh, poor Mets. They had such a good start to the year this year before it all fell apart. But I, I mean, you're right. This isn't a rivalry, Seth. And looking at this game and looking at the point spread, uh, this looks like probably where Michigan State's, uh, you know, very nice season, only one loss so far, uh, perhaps starts to derail a little bit. Uh, Ohio State, they are currently 19 and a half point favorites at Bavada in this one. Uh, that seems like a lot in a matchup between four versus seven, but Ohio State has really righted the ship since that uh, early season loss to Oregon. Oregon, who's looked great so far this year in the college football playoff uh, uh, conversation right now. Uh, but Ohio State has looked dominant since then. Michigan State, uh, they've really mirrored almost like a Notre Dame kind of uh, playing this year with a lot of close wins, a lot of tough. Listen, just win, baby, but on paper, we expect Michigan State to struggle in this one. But the betters are looking at it differently. We're seeing about 70% of all bets on Michigan State. We generally don't see too many of our players uh, fading Ohio State like this. So interesting to see how that line moves as we get closer to kickoff. 
over under currently sitting at 67 uh one of the highest of the week and still 90 percent of all bets on the over in this one Seth. meanwhile you know i love talking about the crimson tide i'm fascinated with them they're going to win the national championship uh they have probably their next best test um for the rest of the year you know the sec title game will be something but they take on arkansas this week and it's not a gimme uh, it's 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 not a, a gimme and uh, it's hard for me to uh, i mean it's, it's they they are three touchdown favorites in this one set they are it, it, it's tough like this is uh, arkansas you know we just talked about michigan state and the nice year that they're having and their number seven ranking it's a similar situation for this arkansas team they're probably going to lo- they're almost assuredly going to lose against alabama in this one uh, but that doesn't take away from what Arkansas has done this year. They came into the season with very low expectations. They played really well. And I, I think that's all they can really hope for in this game is maybe to score one or two times against Alabama. But uh, it, but if you like them on that money line, you can get them at 8-1 to one currently at Bavada right now. That point spread is sitting at an even 21 and the over-under is 57.5. Betting so far a little bit split on this one. No real big opinions uh, this early in the week. All right. Meanwhile, out in the Pac-12, Oregon travels to Utah. That's an intriguing matchup, don't you think? Uh, it's it's not just an intriguing matchup, Seth. Uh, this could be what makes or breaks the Oregon season, as uh, Utah has uh, looked really good this year. They're coming to this game at number 24 ranking, Oregon, of course, number three. And Utah, actually a very slight home favorite in this one, Seth. They are three-point favorites at home hosting the Ducks. Uh, you know, o- Oregon has looked good this year. They do have a loss against them as well. Uh, they can't lose again. They absolutely can't lose again if they want to represent the Pac-12 in the college football playoff. But here they are as slight underdogs in this one. Could really go either way. Personally have, uh, you know, no strong lean one way or another. And our betters seem to reflect that as, again, about 50-50 betting on Oregon and Utah in this game. Uh, Over under currently sitting at 59 at Bavada. Should be some okay. great matchups. Let's take a look at the pros now. We'll start with Thursday night football, and probably I'll be hosting Thursday night football on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Seth Everett. know there was a bit of a hiccup. Uh, there have been a little bit of um, updates going on. The NFL is uh, in my corner. I did nothing wrong Thursday night, so hopefully tonight goes very clearly. Uh, follow me on Twitter, and I'll explain the whole thing at Seth underscore Everett. But uh, Thursday night, I'll be hosting the Patriots and the Falcons. Well, Seth, that's what you get for promoting uh, horse paste on your Twitch channel during NFL that's games. What it was. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's what it was. <laughs> there was a guy. There was a guy on social media that thought he was t- putting in the chat room uh, Devils Islander scores, um, and then when the channel got taken down because of a, a technical snafu, uh, he DM'd me on Twitter and said. I hope my scores didn't violate any. <laughs> oh my God. With all the affiliate links and spamming people do on Twitch, uh, the know, poor fellow right? just wanted to share hockey Saying scores. Saying two nothing uh, devils over the Islanders is not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, we know the NFL likes to control content. So if, if it's not on brand, then it's got to go. That must have been it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, as for the game itself uh, this Thursday, uh, Hey, how about those New England Patriots, Seth? Uh, you know, kind of a slow start to the year, which you would expect with uh, a rookie quarterback uh, coming into a brand new system like this. But the Patriots defense has looked solid this year. They're now back above 500, uh, potentially challenging uh, for the AFC East as the Buffalo Bills have uh, you know, really slowed down in the last month. Um, 
Patriots currently seven point road favorites in this one. And after last weekend's performance, uh, Seth, uh, Mac Jones is now the odds on favorite of Bavada to win the offensive rookie of the year. He supplanted uh, Jamar Chase ever so slightly. We do consider it a two man race. However, it, we are only halfway through the season. Things can continue to change, uh, but the Patriots are looking great. Again, a touchdown favorite at Bavada, one of our biggest positions of the week, over under currently sitting at 47 and a half. Yes, Mac Jones. Again, you cannot escape the Alabama love. Uh, Dallas <laughs> and Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes looks like he's in uh, his regular form. They had hiccups earlier in the season. How much of a player can the Chiefs be? And the Dallas Cowboys are very compelling. They lost to Denver a couple of weeks ago, rebounded nicely last week. Yeah, uh, great, great weekends for both uh, the Chiefs and the Cowboys. Uh, very dominant wins, uh, which is, you know, the, the Cowboys have had less hiccups and struggles uh, compared to the Kansas City Chiefs this season. And most of those have been injury related. The Cowboys really haven't gotten their way too much this season. And it, it is nice to see the Chiefs uh, find a little bit of form. Uh, no, nothing shakes off a little bit of rust like uh, playing a team like the Raiders right now after everything that's going on with them. So 41 to 14 against a team like the Raiders, uh, that helps to right the ship. And uh, personally, as a big fan of Patrick Mahomes, he does amazing things out there. It's great to see him have that kind of success as well. I think the league is better when the Chiefs are doing well and someone like Mahomes is doing well. So th this is the marquee matchup of the week, in my humble opinion. And uh, looking at the odds right now, Seth, uh, the Chiefs are currently ever so slight two and a half point home favorites in this one. The action is pretty split. Uh, over under, no surprise. The largest one of the week is 56 at Bavada right now. Uh, you, you really got to like what the Cowboys have done this year. And that point spread being ever so slightly under three is a slight nudge to suggest that on neutral field, the Cowboys are the better team. But uh, regardless, I, th this is the game I'm looking forward to the most this week. Yeah, no secret that that is going to be a great one indeed. That is Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at Bovada. Now back to our conversation with Yahoo Sports' Jay Busby. Now that I think about it, my my whole career, at least the, this, this front, front forward fun part of it, is basically just you know, ask if you can join up. That's basically how I got in with Yahoo. I was a, I was a writer for a long time, um, you know, doing a lot of freelance stuff. And I did, uh, you know, the, the whole, the secret origin is that I spent a long time when I was raising my kids when they were little, writing about solid waste and landfills. I mean, absolutely thrilling stuff. I, you know, toured recycling plants and toured incinerators and things like that. But I was always wow. wanting to do something more interesting. So I would write on, I would write sports on the side. You know, I'd, I'd pitch freelance job. articles. Dude, it was sorry. sorry. It was. I, it I was. Had to. I mean, you know, it's landfills. How do you not make that joke? Here's the thing, man. That joke would have killed at the conferences that I went to. Yeah, <laughs> my industry is garbage. Ha <laughs> ha. Get it? Get it? So, uh, yeah. So I, you know, no disrespect whatsoever to to the entire industry and the people there. But I, you know, I decided I wanted to write some, about something that uh, that was a little more closer to my heart. So I was writing freelance articles for various magazines, and then I saw that Yahoo was starting up. A series of sports blogs and um, sports specific blogs, one for the NFL, one for NBA, and so on, so on. And they didn't have anybody to write uh, the the NASCAR blog. Uh, and NASCAR at the time, back in the mid two thousands, was was big. You know, still is big, but not as big as it was back then. And uh, I'm from the South. I was raised around NASCAR. I know the players. I knew and I knew who's involved, both on the driving side and in the uh, the ownership and, and management side. 
And so I just pitched, I said, hey, you know, can I, can I write for you? And, uh, and the guy who became one of my close friends said, sure, go ahead, let's do it. We'll give you a two week tryout. And um, it's been about 13 years later. And he, I, I guess I got the job because he never said that I didn't, but he never officially said, yes, you've got the job. I've just hung on a little after that. So yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a case of just, if you want something, just ask, you know, start right there. And, and, and that's, that's how I got on and, and it worked out pretty well. That is uh, pretty, pretty uh, amazing. I, I knew you had covered some racing, so I was going to ask this at the end, but I want to kind of get this out of the way. Um, you've covered NASCAR. You wrote a book on NASCAR, Earnhardt Nation. Right. Um, NASCAR has two things going for it right now. Uh, it has become very polarizing from a standpoint of race, but it's also become very uh, segmented in who watches it. Uh, you said it's not what it once was. There was a time when NASCAR was but much bigger, but now it's massive in only certain parts of the country. And I made this comment on a sports business podcast that we did a couple of weeks ago in that NBC has this massive decision to make. Uh, the Premier League and NASCAR rights are up. And I would say, and this is not because I'm a fan of the Premier League. Actually, this was when we had Ralph on. Uh, not just because I'm a fan of the Premier League, but the Premier League audience seems to be growing and the NASCAR audience seems to be shrinking. So regardless of your opinions on NASCAR, what is your stance on what's happening with NASCAR? Because it seems to be shrinking. Yeah, the, the problem that NASCAR has is its own history. Um, and I mean that in, in any number of ways. Uh, it's got a, a less than sterling history when it comes to race, um, not the act of racing, but uh, the construct of race and, and white fans versus black fans versus any other sort of minority fans. It's definitely got a problem there. And, and to the, the people that run NASCAR's credit, they are very, very aware of that. They understand that. So NASCAR has uh, that, that problematic history attached to it. I mean, even, you know, the Confederate flags had to be banned from NASCAR tracks in, in 2020. I mean, that's how, that's how pervasive that this strain was in the NASCAR fandom. Um, but beyond that, it has these legends of the sport, Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt, Cale Yarborough, guys that, that just are, that, that, em, that embody Americana and embody what it means to be a, a man in America, in America. And obviously it's a very narrow defined segment, but for a whole lot of people, these, these guys were the apex of what it meant to be a man in America. And that construct doesn't work anymore in America. You know, for, there's a whole lot of people who don't think of Dale Earnhardt as the ultimate expression of the American man. And so, and, and as we moved away from a car culture, the, the whole idea of, of racing cars doesn't fit anymore. Not only that, as we move to a culture where all of our entertainment is more segmented, the idea of sitting down and watching cars literally going around in a circle for three hours is not as, as compelling to people as it was anymore. So NASCAR's got a whole lot of forces that are arrayed against it, both of its own doing and just of the, of the, the trend of society. What the sport is really trying to do, and I, and I have an article coming out on this in the next few days, is try to, to, to recontextualize itself and make it as more of, of an event than, an, than a, or more of an experience than just a single event. Now, if you've never been to a NASCAR race, you absolutely have to go because it is, it, it, it's not just like going to a baseball game where you go, you watch the game and you leave. It is a full day or a full weekend event. I can't emphasize enough how much friggin' fun it is at a NASCAR race. It is just, it's great. It's, it's just speed 
and good food and campfires and camaraderie and all of it combined together. And so what NASCAR is trying to do is to figure out how to get that experience to a new generation of fans that doesn't have any connection whatsoever to Dale Earnhardt or Tony Stewart or any of these drivers that have retired. It's a, it's a real tall order. It's a, it's a tough, tough task. And that's not even touching on the political aspects, which are a whole different issue that NASCAR has to deal with. But then every sport at this point has to deal with because everything that, that, that we see and say has been politicized. But uh, that's, a, that's a long answer to say that NASCAR's got problems, but they're aware of it and they're working hard on them. Well, but then I have to throw in um, the other aspect of it, and that is something that I've become very close to. Uh, I've been fascinated with Formula One. Oh, yes. But I've also, I haven't covered Formula One. I've covered Formula E. Okay. Formula E fascinates me because, number one, the whole idea is these teams are fighting like hell to win a goddamn trophy, and they're going <laughs> to wind up saving the world because all they're trying to do is, is create these energy-efficient electric cars. That, the cars all sound like Knight Rider. And, <laughs> and, but, but the thing that they do is they take over city streets in these fascinating cities, it all feels like James Bond and none of the track, you, you said it's just going around in a circle. It's not that it's this right. track and the track is compelling. And we've done a bunch of podcasts on sports with friends with people from formula E everyone finds it to be fascinating. Now I'm not comparing it's not apples to apples, but what formula one and formula E do is you tell you talk about the event they make this event and they travel the globe and you know when when it's in paris france parisians are into it like they get really really into it and what happens with nascar is it travels but it travels to the same nine places and you're not going to new things and you're not expanding to new places and you know the nhl made an interesting point when they went to nbc they said, we got to stop asking people in Nebraska to give a crap about hockey. What we need to do is make sure people in Detroit care about the Red Wings and people in Philly care about the Flyers. Like, that's what we need to worry about. Should NASCAR do that? Should NASCAR take this? Let's not try to expand where we're not welcome. Let's just make sure the places where we're welcome, they love us. It's interesting you say that because NASCAR actually has in the last year has expanded to a lot of new road tracks that aren't just going around in circles. I think that they have picked up on exactly what you're saying, which is you can't just have the same tired uh, runs around uh, the same schedule. So, yeah, they have expanded a little bit. I do wonder about that that strategy um, for NASCAR's sake, not for not for the NHL's sake. I think it's a great idea to make sure that you get your Detroit fans fired up about the Red Wings. The problem with NASCAR is that they are so, they, they already have an isolationist reputation. And if you focus exclusively on the people that are already preconditioned to like NASCAR, that may be a pool that, that is not of the, of, the, of the breadth and width that they want to have. They, they, because they, NASCAR took a ton of heat back in the, in the late 1990s, early 2000s for spreading out too fast, for trying to go to places like, you know, California and Arizona and places that were outside of the South. And now they took a lot of heat from people in the South who were like, we just want to keep NASCAR here. But they, they had to do it to see, you know, you, you don't think of NASCAR as being a Northern sport and yet they've got several tracks up North in Delaware and Pennsylvania and New Hampshire. And the, the question is, how do you find that balance between 
trying to get new fans in and making sure that your old fans stick to you. The real problem, I think, with NASCAR as a fan is this. Traditionally, if you root for NASCAR, you don't root for NASCAR as a sport. You, you don't necessarily root for the sport of racing. You don't root for an event that happens at a specific location. You root for a driver. You know, you pull for Dale Jr., you pull for Jeff Gordon, you pull for Jimmy Johnson. What happens when that guy retires? You don't automatically go and jump to, to whoever's to the driving. Replacement. Yeah. Exactly, to the 48 car. Whereas if you're, if you're a fan of, you know, the Cincinnati Reds or the Los Angeles Dodgers, whoever's wearing that laundry, as Jerry Seinfeld put it, you're going to yes. root for them. So the Seinfeld quote, very nice. It's Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's such a, it's a, oh, it's such I a famous one. I knew I would one. be friends with you. <laughs> but it's a perfect one in this case because – when the NASCAR guy gets out of his laundry and another guy jumps in the 24 car, you're not automatically preconditioned to like that guy just because Jeff Gordon used that number. So that's a, that's a problem of fandom that NASCAR has to deal with as well. It's an interesting point. All right. Um, we could do the whole episode on. NASCAR. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, if we've got any listeners, hang on, let's, let's get to, let's get to football or wherever, because yeah. <laughs> I know that NASCAR is kind of a polarizing topic. You cover uh, the NFL. Um, is that because Yahoo says, well, the NFL gets more clicks, so go primarily NFL? Um, you know, when you came on, you weren't the NFL guy. Right. Did, did they kind of steer you in that direction? They did, yeah. They said, they said, look, you know, we, we need you. We, we know that you love NASCAR. We love, know that you love golf, but we need you writing on the sports that people are reading about, which is not to say that those other sports are not, but uh, – yeah, the NFL is the is the 800 pound gorilla that that drags everything around behind it. So uh, that's where most of our efforts focus. That's where most of everybody's effort is focused. TV, media. It's it, the NFL is just the the untouchable behemoth that every, everything else rallies around. Oh, there's no 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 secret uh, about that. Um, the NFL is in a a an interesting time um, because its popularity is ridiculously massive. Um, the recent renewal with NBC and ESPN and CBS and Fox, um, was very ho-hum to me because until, you know, until you tell me where the NFL Sunday ticket goes, uh, when it leaves direct TV, there will be millions of people that cut the cord. And as a cord cutter, like that's what I'm rooting for. I get rid of cable, like get rid of these RSNs, get rid of all of that because I want over the top. I want to be able, if I'm, if I'm a Nashville Predators fan, I want to be able to watch the Nashville Predators on my phone. That's what I, that's the future I want. And the reality of it is, is that the Sunday ticket allows that. Uh, if Apple gets it, it's fascinating because are they going to make you have an iPhone? Uh, if Amazon gets it, are they going to just make prime and not charge you extra? Because the consumer will be in heaven. Um, then, you know, ESPN has talked about it, which again, that would make ESPN plus really, really awesome. Whereas right now I, you know, I, I, I don't want to call it awesome. It's good. You know, it, it, it is what it is. <laughs> it's, it's nice. Um, is that the biggest thing in football? Yeah. There's Dan Snyder and yeah, there's Aaron Rodgers, and yeah, there's controversy, but controversy seemed to come and go this Sunday ticket thing could be the next short-term future of the National Football League, I would say this and concussions are the two biggest challenges that face the National Football League. Wouldn't you agree? 
Yeah, and I wouldn't even use the word challenge. I would use the word challenges for concussions, certainly, because the question of youth participation because of concussions is is one that's that the NFL is going to be facing over the next decade plus. But um, but it's opportunity for in terms of of where the next broadcast rights are. The sports broadcast rights are the most valuable, the biggest, most important slice of the pie right now because. You can't replicate them. You know, we talked earlier about podcasts, being able to listen to them whenever. You can do that with TV shows. You can do that with with all with with movies. You know, you can go and stream movies wherever you want, but you can't go and take delay, to use an old term, uh, a sporting event. You know, because it just it happens in real time. You need to know what it happens live. And if you're at all plugged in, you're not going to watch the Super Bowl two days after it airs. You might watch the season finale of, of your favorite show two days after it airs and you try to avoid spoilers. There's no way you're avoiding spoilers on the Super Bowl. Everyone's going to watch it when it happens. So live events are the huge, most important element of all this. And yeah, the question of, of how much is going to be streaming and how much of it's going to be in these, these OTT services is going to be the question that defines the NFL for the next decade. And it's, it's, Interesting because I watch football differently than most people. I'll go unless I'm unless I'm targeting a specific uh, player or a specific game. I'll go and watch red. I guess not different than most people, but I don't use Sunday Ticket. I use Red Zone, and so it's just like if you've never used Red Zone before, Same here. you will never go back. I mean, it's just like mainlining sports, just oh, so, mainlining football right into so, your veins. So it's always, com- <laughs> it's always compelling. I, what I love is the colors. Yes. Because I, you know, I'm fascinated. I, I've said on the podcast before, one of my fantasy jobs, I want to be the uniform police <laughs> and um, the NFL. What it does is it's not highlights. It's live. And so I want to hear Spiro Didis and Andrew Catalan and Ian Eagle and Jim Nance and Joe, Joe Buck. Like I want to hear those guys. And that's what the red zone presents. The red zone just became available on Hulu. And I have a caveat here because Scott Hansen does a fine job, but I graduated with Andrew Siciliano, who's been a guest on this podcast, and I feel like I'm cheating on him. (laughs) I don't have direct TV anymore, so I can't get his version of the red zone. Yeah, yeah. I can only get the Scott Hansen version. But yes, it is. It makes NFL Sundays. Here's my advice to to everybody listening to this podcast. Thursday nights, watch Thursday night football on my Twitch channel because we have a deal with the NFL where the game can actually air on my Twitch channel. Uh, and then Sundays, watch the red zone. And if you can handle Monday night or Sunday night football, after all that, you're a better person. Than me. <laughs> yeah. Watch it. A, after spending a day watching red zone, you, you get to a, you get to a regular football game and it's like driving a car about 30 miles an hour on the highway. You're like, this is totally. so slow come on when is something gonna happen so yeah it's it's tremendous but the nfl knows that they hooked us in you know they they, they gave us uh, they hooked us in on the drug we're addicted now and anybody that that going forward that has those broadcast rights whether or not it's for the red zone i mean they're just going to be printing money because you just cannot replicate the live sporting experience in any way it's it, it all has to be done right there in that moment you are I'm not going to say a prisoner, but you are definitely captive to the the NFL and to the moment in a way that you aren't in any other form of uh, broadcast entertainment. And the blackout rules don't exist. Uh, well, for Sunday uh, ticket, they do. The Sunday ticket, they do. So if you're in Atlanta, you can't watch the Falcons on Sunday ticket. That's going to be a thing. And in baseball is trying to, you know, they're talking about it. Um, you know, I, I we had Gary Bettman on this podcast and he said they're on it. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is the young kids today, you know, if you're 15 years old 
uh, in the next five years and you're going off to college, let's let's assume for the sake of this argument that you go to college in the market you grew up in. So you are a fan. I use my daughter as an example. She is a legitimate New Jersey Devils fan. When she goes to college, if they're blacked out, uh, you know, she's not getting cable. So you took an 18 year old fan of your team and you said bye to them. And that that's happening in every sport. You know, it's happening in baseball, basketball and, and hockey. And it's all over. And when ESPN Plus announced their deal and in their press release, they said 1000 out of market games. That's wonderful. If I live in Atlanta, I don't, well, Atlanta is not a good example because you lost two hockey teams, but, <laughs> but if you live in Philadelphia, we're always, it shouldn't <laughs> be easier to see the Columbia Columbus blue jackets. Like that's yeah. just wrong. Blackout rules are just, just stupid. And they're just, they're a relic of a, of a, of a bygone era. I mean, one thing that we saw about uh, the pandemic that all, is, is that all of these rules that we thought were so hard and fast that we couldn't, they couldn't change. And this is the way that we've always done business. We saw that's all just BS. I mean, and take college football, for example. You know, college football schedules are made up literally well into the 2030s now. Teams are planning, you know, Notre Dame is going to play Georgia in 2037 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They already, they schedule this out. And so there's this, this perception by the powers that be that the scheduling takes time. What happened during the pandemic? They, they threw it all out the window and, and Central Arkansas, this team just goes, starts barnstorming around, playing anybody that they'll, they'll play them. It's, it's absurd. It's absurd to try to cling to these old ideas when they're, they're all just kind of held in place because of tradition and because people who have vested interests say so. It, it, there's no reason to have a blackout. There's no reason to, to it, it's, it's an outdated concept in the age of streaming media and the age of mobile fans. So it's, it's a tired concept as one that needs to go. So yeah, anything that, that you can do to rally the, uh, the commissioners against it, you are, you're doing the Lord's work, sir. Yeah, we're trying. <laughs> we're trying. I was ready to go off on, you know, the devil's thing and, and, and the, the MSG app in New York is the single worst app in all of sports. history. How, how bad is that when you have an app? that's just got one, one effing function and it, and it doesn't and it can't work. do it. You well, know, the it, worst it's, part it's the only is way in. he's because they own a cable company. It's owned by cable vision. And because they're, they purposely won't make an Apple TV version of it. So the only way to watch the devils <laughs> in New Jersey is to uh, put it on your phone, airplay it and pray that there are no tweets, texts or weather <laughs> alerts because that knocks it off. And I don't care if I have like an assignment due or a podcast to edit. If I find out the devils are on ESPN plus, I celebrate just like I used to celebrate when they were on NBC sports network. And it's nothing against Steve Cangelosi and Ken Danico. Who's been on this podcast is just, they, they're, they're great announcer. It's not the announcers. It is get that app out of my world. You oh, are. Oh, oh, oh. And I have to steal a password. <laughs> exactly look i know you're a comics guy i'm a comics guy i have had enough of batman taking down these shadowy conspiracies you know the court of owls and joker and the riddler and all this stuff i want batman to go after cartels that have bad sports apps okay that would make that would make a compelling 2022 story get tom king on that i want to see batman taking down whatever app it is that doesn't let the, the good people of gotham watch the gotham knights <laughs> That's awesome. Could you imagine? It would just it just be the end of, of that. Um, in Connecticut, they're already going on, like, I think it's seven on seven or eight on eight uh, because they don't have enough players. Um, but nobody 
fields their college and pro teams from the state of the great state of Connecticut. Yes. Um, when is that? It doesn't seem it seems like ignorance is bliss and the pandemic has exposed that, you know, people don't care about safety when it comes to their rights. No one can tell kids not to play football. Um, I've had pro athletes, including football players, say that they didn't want their kids to play football, um, not necessarily on this podcast, but just in my in my career. Right. How big a deal is this? And, you know, we can say, wait a second, they're, you know, they're killing themselves They're killing themselves. If they don't care, why should we? Well, th- there's you know, this this gets at the heart of what we have learned over the last 18 months is that certain people interested in the common good. And certain people are interested in the good only as it applies to them themselves. And uh, they are interested, there are certain people that are interested in preserving, you know, looking out for the health of others. And there are certain people who are like, hey, if it doesn't apply to me and mine, then I don't care. I want to watch football. I don't care about that guy that's getting his brain turned into jelly. That's his problem. He made the choice himself. Why should I feel guilty about that? And so we start to get to the sort of philosophical choice. I mean, it is it is a question. If, if someone else makes the choice to do it, then uh, why should we feel bad about them if they, I mean, obviously feel, feel bad as humans, but, but if they made the choice, I think that the issue comes in when someone makes that choice and then the people that are directly benefiting from that choice, i.e. the colleges, the uh, pro, the NFL, the, even the, the high school teams and the, and the, the little league teams, the, teams the, the people that are directly benefiting from that choice, if they are not doing all that they can to protect that player, to compensate that player, to make sure that that player is protected, then they are most definitely at fault. And so I think that what you will see is a continued emphasis on safe playing, safe tackling. Yes, I mean, we grew up watching two helmets smash into each other and smash into pieces to start Monday Night Football, that we, we watched the old video cassettes of the NFL's greatest hits with guys getting disemboweled right there on the field. And, and there's that kind of vicarious thrill in that. But then if you really think about it, that's a, you know, that's a guy who's, who's going to be having trouble standing up straight when he's 51. So you, you need to, to recognize that maybe a little burst of short-term endorphin entertainment is not worth the, the long-term consequences for these guys. But I, I place the, the blame and the responsibility squarely on the organizations that are most benefiting from these players, the, the, their, their work, their labor. And I think that you're seeing a lot more of that, whether or not it's to the, to the extent that it needs to be, you know, that's, that's always what's up for debate. But I think that the more that we can see teams and, and organizations make football safer without necessarily making it two-hand touch football, the better. Right. The, the only issue that I find is unlike COVID, see, in COVID situations, I, I, I was worried about people who were ignoring it because they could spread it to me and my loved ones. A football game is not going to do that to me. Right. So there's right. a major difference. So I, I, I <laughs> which I, is know, a good thing if you're a New York Jets fan, you're not going to you're not going to catch Jets if you're uh, in the stands there. Well, you know, I, I, I made this joke with one of my neighbors. There was a um, we smelled a smoke on our street and uh, the police were called and they checked all the streets. It turned out somebody was having a fire pit. But the point of why I'm telling you this is I said to my neighbor, I said, the first thing you do is check your house. Because your house is the only one that you're responsible for. Right. No, right. I don't want any of my neighbors to have their house burned down. But outside of what I did, I, there's not really much I can do for them. Yeah. yeah. And it's it, that's that's what football is. To me, if if these guys want to do it, 
go for it. You know, go for it. I see a running quarterback. I see Lamar Jackson and I worry about the day that he gets clocked. Oh yeah. You know? And it's happening. Right. And, and you see it. And again, I'm not down on the NFL. I've been very high on the NFL. It's been super entertaining. You mentioned red zone. There's been overtime games every week and it's been really, really great. But if I don't seem to, to, if I don't have a personal stake in it, I wonder what the league really cares about. They can say they care, yeah, but it is not going to be a detriment to that league in our lifetime. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's be honest. The, the, the league is the, first and foremost concerned about keeping the league going, which means being profitable, which means keeping people watching football. I mean, if they were, if they were truly concerned about safety, you know, for its own sake, then, then they disband the NFL. I mean, the NFL is a, is a very, very painful uh, sort of occupation to go into. Football is, is a damaging occupation. Running into 300 pound men at, at, at uh, you know, 20 miles an hour is a difficult thing to do for your body. But that there's that that certain element of risk acceptance risk tolerance that you're going for there and i mean it's you know again taking the 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 exposure part out of it and the, and the uh, contamination part out of it it's it's not dissimilar to covid if you want to be completely safe from covid just hold yourself up in the house for the next two years until it goes away but i mean that level of risk we are all comfortable with differing levels of risk and there's no way to to completely filter out short of shutting the lead down short of shutting yourself in your house there's no way to filter risk completely out of the equation and so what i think the nfl has to do is find where that that acceptable level of risk is that you can still have these thrilling games while not having guys that that uh, you know are are having difficulty forming sentences by the before they hit uh, age 50. I don't want to spend a lot of time on Aaron Rodgers, mostly because in a podcast, and I, I have a standard uh, joke here. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast the week it's released, this is very current. If you're listening to this in the future, do me a favor. Tell me how the <laughs> flying car is. That's right. Uh, tell me how COVID ends. You know, just let me know how the future is. Um, Aaron Rodgers uh, clearly lied. It's a memo to me to journalists that when he gave that gobbledygook about being immunized back in the summer, no one called him on it. They just kind of took it. And I was just like, come on, have better reporters. Like, you know, the media gets attacked from, from all sides, you know, just be better than that. Uh, you, you know, you, you call Aaron Rodgers out in August, not now when he tests positive and Oh, by the way, and it turned into a big controversy. Um, but the fine uh, for Rogers was so lame um, for breaking protocols. And it just seems to me that if it was like the reserve halfback on the Baltimore Ravens, we wouldn't be, it would be triple what, what, <laughs> what it is. Um, this looks like the, the, they know that Aaron Rodgers makes them money. So they don't want him off the field and, you know, being unvaccinated and literally testing positive and 10 days later you're in an NFL game seems like we're not taking COVID very seriously. Well, that's, that's president Aaron Rodgers. Uh, for those of you in the future, uh, that this, this was, as it turned oh, out in this the was, future. <laughs> yeah. This was the start of his, uh, 2028 presidential campaign was, was back here in 2021. Um, yeah, it's the, yeah, there's a lot that you, that you put together there that, um, you know, that's, that's worth digging into. Um, yeah, he was, he was deceptive. That's the, that's the main thing that's so infuriating about all of this is that he knew what he was doing. And you go back and listen to this, you know, are you vaccinated? Yeah, I'm immunized. I mean, just by saying, yeah, he's answering. There's, honestly, there's, there, the media has a lot to answer for. 
and I can I can fault them for letting this one slide. I mean, beat reporters in back in August, it was still a touchy proposition as to whether to ask players if they were vaccinated or not. It's a little bit different now. That's that's one thing that when we view with with hindsight what happened back then, it's all you know, it's it's a little bit of a different sliding scale situation. I remember people were we're saying, can we ask them about that? And other people saying, hey, we ask them about their hamstring every week. Why can't we ask about this? It's it's a similar, med- it's a medical condition. So, but he was, the bottom line is, you know, whoever else is, is involved in complicit, he knowingly deceived people. If he, if he had the courage, of a con- the courage of his convictions, if he really truly believed to the extent that he, that he claims he does now, he would have said, no, I'm not vaccinated and here's why. But he instead deceived people because he knew that he was either doing something, you know, he knew, I'm not gonna say he knew that he was doing something wrong because he doesn't believe that, but he knew that he was doing something that was not in step with the vast majority of America at that time. And yet he chose to, to be deceptive about it. So yeah, it's it's infuriating to see how this has played out in terms of the fine. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's difficult to see. But the thing is, fines are negotiated by the Players Association in conjunction with the NFL. They're not based on a contract, uh, player's contract. So the, the, you know, the rookie who just joined the team gets popped with the same number value of fines, not a percentage of your paycheck. So that's why, you know, Aaron Rodgers, to, to the rest of us, this looks like a $38 fine or whatever it is. Um, but, but to him, you know, it's something, it's very inconsequential. But yeah, I think that the, the problem is that the leagues are trying to get, want to get back to normalcy so quickly. And the people who are fighting against any kind of vaccine mandate, any kind of testing are so intransigent. They're just absolutely refusing to take any kind of compromise into account that a lot of leagues are just finally like, finally like fine, whatever. Okay, just t- stay out 10 days and then we move on. And so, yeah, when you have a situation like this, it puts it in kind of sharp relief and it, and it, and it looks suspect and, and, and frustrating. This is going to sound weird, but I, I am really pro football. <laughs> um, the we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're figuring you out here. This is it. You're yeah. admitting to it. You're, you, you know, you said how much you love soccer. No, but, but, but the problem is, is just to sit here and say how great games are like, okay. That's, all right. Here, here's one. Here's one. The SoFi stadium looks so nice. Oh God, dude! Right? It looks I mean, so nice. It looks like the Jetsons literally will yeah. like would, would go there. It makes the Cowboy Stadium look gaudy. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you, you've touched on an important point here because there is a certain segment of NFL media that is NFL first and media second, and and I don't just mean the the, the media that's associated with NFL.com. I'm talking about across media organizations that around the country that that their first goal is to protect the shield their first goal is their loyalty to the shield and and then second is to the players and whatever the story might be so yeah it can be it can be infuriating to just focus on the game when so much else is going on there but you know i think that doesn't mean we should lose sight of the fact that yeah football can be kind of fun too oh it's it's the the games are great the games are great uh the washington story Uh ah yes and there's something about the Washington story. I kind of want to skip a lot of details. Um, I heard I was watching the, the Costas show uh, on HBO and they kind of addressed this with Jerry Jones. Um, Jerry Jones had some interesting things to say. Um, it doesn't happen often. But owners have been forced to sell their teams. Marge shot Donald Sterling. Um, there have been instances. It, it, it does happen. 
uh, people have said more in Washington than I think any other place. I know that the, uh, the Met fan hates the, hated the will ponds, uh, but this seemed to go on a different level. Uh, the toxic nature, the refusal to change the name, the, the just a, a, a lot of things. It just seems like the NFL would be better off if this guy doesn't own Washington. Is all of this headed there? Because I'd love to skip three steps, like, <laughs> like because you know this 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 constant investigation. The Gruden thing was so like a diversion tactic, yeah. And it just seems like the root cause of everything. The announcer had to leave. You know, like everybody was guilty of this. This the the whole team sent the naked pictures of the cheerleaders all over the organization. The whole thing is a mess. So just, I'm not saying get rid of Washington. I'm saying get rid of Dan <laughs> Snyder. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know why he's still in it. I, I'm going to venture a theory here and it's going to be a, you know, an, an uncomfortable theory, which is uh shot and Sterling were booted because of, of racially insensitive remarks. And that's um, right. And, but, but, but we're not offending the right race because he insisted on Redskins. Well, no, no, but uh, that's that's true. But uh, but that's that's what I'm getting at is that that having the Redskins name did not upset a sufficiently powerful lobby, and having these cheerleaders be just exploited and horribly, horribly treated did not exploit a power did did not summon up a powerful enough reaction from from the NFL's largely male ownership group. I mean, that's you know I hate to say it, but that's that seems to be what the issue is here is that is that Snyder has has not made powerful enough enemies to get him out of there. I mean, it's not a crime to be an a-hole and, and Snyder most definitely has made people very, very angry with the way that he's he charges for practices. He's, he's cut down uh, protected forests so he would have a better view of his estate of the Potomac River. I mean, he's done these kinds of things that that just on every single level make you See, think like this is just like a distasteful guy to be around yeah but but is it enough for the nfl to say all right we've had enough and clearly it's not and and that's infuriating i know to people who are fans of the team longtime fans of the team my family is longtime fans of the washington team uh it's infuriating people who are looking in from the outside but it's like there there isn't that one and it's unbelievable that we're still not at this point, but but there's not that one point to convince a certain segment of powerful enough people that yeah, the guy's got to go. You, you would you, you would just think, and they have a fantastic fan base. Yes, like a it is a a truly fantastic uh, loyal fan base, and it, it has to be hard. It just be has to be hard, not only because of the losing, it's the it's the losing, but the indignity. Well, that's I mean yeah. Thing. And that's that's what's so frustrating is that is that the fan base doesn't deserve this. Uh, you know, Ron Rivera is an absolutely great coach and a sterling man. I like a lot of the players on the team. You know, the, the ones that are, that I know their background and history. It's like once you start getting above that head coaching level, once you start getting into the front office ranks, that's where it starts to get dicey and problematic. And that's you know, it's difficult that an entire very very proud fan base has to suffer because one guy who made and continues to make a whole lot of money just is, is holding on to this franchise with both hands. And as we saw, 
it's possible for, for change to happen. Remember what Daniel Snyder said, we will never, and write that in capital letters, that's what, that was his quote, right. we will never change the name. Well, flash forward a few years, boom, they changed the name. Again, the name. these things can happen quickly. Like I said with college football uh, schedules, these things can happen quickly. There just has to be that one precipitating event, that groundswell that gets it done. And, and so far, sadly, it has not hit that point in Washington. It really hasn't. Uh, you said you're based in Atlanta. Is yes. that by choice? You just lived in Atlanta? <laughs> in no, no, no. <laughs> That's yes. not, that wasn't meant the way I, I was. I was driving. I was driving through town and I got stuck in traffic and I figured, you know what? Screw it. I, I've been here for three hours. I might as well live here. No, uh, my parents, uh, you know, was, uh, I had no, no voice in the matter. I moved here when I was three years old and um, and then was raised here and then went away to, to college and grad school and, and whatnot for, you know, a Where was that? decade or so. Went to college in uh, William & Mary in Virginia, went to grad nice. school in Memphis, uh, you know, dorked around D.C. and Colorado and that, those kinds of things when I was a young, aimless Where man. Where were you in Colorado? Uh, I was protecting the slopes of Keystone Ski Resort from uh, inv Iraqi invasion during the Gulf War. And I am proud to report that there were no, uh, there was absolutely no invasion during the Gulf War. I did, and I looked like I was skiing a lot, drinking a lot of beer, doing a lot of other things during the Gulf War. But don't be fooled, I was protecting those slopes and I did my job well, sir. So the, so the Gulf War, so you're about five years older than me. Yes. Because yes. I, I worked in Denver. I covered the Broncos from 96 to 98. Okay, yeah, I was there a little bit before then. So yeah, yeah I was in the early 90s. Funny. Yeah. Too funny. Um, the World Series happened. We're going to do a whole episode breaking down the, the 2021 baseball season. Excellent. Um, but it was surrounded in controversy. It was, you know, the team had, you took their all-star game away. And right. then there was all the controversy around the Tomahawk chop. And it was, why don't you change their name if you're changing the Cleveland Indians name and all these things. And then I said, but if you wanted controversy free, you went to the Astros. <laughs> like what? It yeah. just seemed like a world series that I, I never got into it. I, it was never compelling. It was, it wasn't gripping. You know, I know from covering, you know, over a dozen of them, uh, once a team goes up three, one, you literally want it to be over. Mm -hmm. Two, two, you want it to go seven, but three, one, you want it ending in five. No one wants six. And in that world series, it just, I know there was a community that was giddy about it, but it just seemed like the Braves, it seemed like there was more talk about the controversies. You know, every time the fans did the tomahawk chop, the country was on social media going this still this still it just seemed like a very uncomfortable series. But you have a different perspective. You're in Atlanta. You've spent a good portion of your life and you're covering this World Series from a different perspective than right. I'm watching. Yes. Well, uh, I shouldn't have I saved this to the end. The goddamn NASCAR <laughs> talk. <laughs> I know. We should just edit that out, man. Just just edit straight. NASCAR. <laughs> is still around now to the world series uh yeah i mean you, you can do this you can you, you're an editing wizard you can you can make this this uh work anyway um look i mean straight up it, we're supposed to pretend as journalists that we are unbiased that's absurd i grew up a Braves fan i was a Braves fan for forever you know i, I still am a Braves fan but um you know i have to put that slightly on hold when i'm covering the game but covering the series but let's be honest as speaking as a Braves fan 
I don't give a crap how how boring it was for the rest of the country. I, I do not give a damn. It was it was over and it was done. I would have been happy if every single one of them had been a 14 to nothing blowout. So, it, you know, in terms of a baseball fandom, you don't care. In terms of, uh, uh, from a journalistic perspective, you're exactly right. When I was, the, the Braves go up three to one. I was not covering the series in Houston. I was only in Atlanta. And when Houston wins that game five, which means that they're going back to Houston, which means all the all the reporters in the press box have to pack up and take another flight. Oh, to yeah. Houston, I've been on home. that. I've been on that. Oh, those oh, that was a that was a grim press box there when, when they're realizing, <laughs> like, oh, God, we've got I remember go in the 2002 World Series, I was on the phone with Continental Airlines This is before <laughs> they merged with United. I was on the phone when the giant when the Angels came back in the in game six. Yeah, yes, exactly. You're like, no, no more. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's true that this was a team, this was a world series with two teams that had, you know, one where you hated the concept of the team and one where you hated the team itself because of what they did a few years prior. And what's interesting about the chop and the way that the Braves, you know, the, the, the entire fan base, it got a lot more pointed this year. It was two years ago when was the last time that the playoffs were played in Atlanta because of the pandemic. Uh, there was a pitcher for the, the uh, St. Louis Cardinals who had Native American ancestry, and he said the chop offended him. So the Braves, as an organization, sort of dialed it back during the games. They didn't play it as much. They didn't play. They have a. Really? They, they used to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They used to have a whole orchestral uh, you know, theme that would go along with it that would get fans to, to cheer. So they dialed that back. Now they, they don't have. The, the, the chant anymore that, that comes over the loudspeakers, but they do play a little drum beat because Jesus Christ, man, this, this the stadium is out in Cobb County. And, and, you know, I, I love all of my, my uh, Atlanta fellow Atlantans for every race, but my God, the white people have absolutely no rhythm out there. And so they have to be taught how to have uh, rhythm with the, with the drum beat. And it still is there. And so there was a little bit more defiant, uh, shopping going on i think it, i think it was kind of that in your face you know that that whole let's go brandon nonsense that that is that defines american life right now which is like you're trying to take something from me or i think you're trying to take something from me so f you i'm going to do it even harder and so yeah that's why it's going to be very difficult to 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 get rid of the chop from atlanta because there's going to be a huge core of people that that are going to see it not as out of respect and, and it's kind of cartoonish at this point, but they're going to see it as you're taking something that belongs to me. So I want to hold on to it. It's going to be, it's going to be a fight. Yeah. It, it, it's a weird one because, you know, a lot of people were, you know, to talk about the all-star game was, was weird because whether or not you were supporting the voting uh, situation or not, they went to a state in Colorado, which already had voting laws. So right. I, I, I didn't understand the, the all-star game thing from that standpoint, um, the whole thing was disturbing and it's not about the chop and it's not about the future. What I, what I was most offended by, by the Atlanta Braves is you <laughs> took a perfectly serviceable Turner field and you closed it down to build a, a, a fancy stadium in the suburbs yeah. where I wish, okay, you want comic books? I have always said, I want green lanterns power ring to take Turner field and move it to Oakland. <laughs> That'd be good. That would be good. Turner would solve field. two problems. You know, this is, this is, this is the whole, you know, if you want to do an entire podcast on Atlanta sports, we could go three hours on this, but it's, it's 
Turner Field is the. That might the, be fun. Let's do yeah, it. Let, it after the new year. Let's definitely do. Yes. That. Well, I mean, we can. We I can talk forever on this. Turner Field is the endpoint of sixty years of bad decisions in, in Atlanta. You know, the Turner Field slash Truist Park, whatever the hell they're calling it now. Um, it's the it's the endpoint of sixty years of bad decisions and racially motivated decisions in Atlanta. Citing that stadium, the initial stadium, Atlanta Fulton County, that one that looked like a flying saucer. Citing it where they did was a mistake in the first place, but they did it because it was cheap and because it was in African-American territory rather than further north where it would have taken land from white people. And that's, I mean, it's just documented fact. So Atlanta kind of, the, the Braves sort of reversed that trend because they basically wanted more money. They were tenants at Turner Field. They wanted to be owners. And at, at, at the, the new right. park, at Truist Park, they can be owners. They can make a ton of money. They can use that money now to, to start paying players better so that, I mean, not that they were strapped for cash before, but, you know, it's, it's the dynamics are all, yes, there's a racial dynamic, but primarily it is a money dynamic. And, and that's what, what these are driven by. And, and yeah, it's a shame because it's, it, it, Truist Park is nice and safe and sweet. And it's like Disney World baseball, but it's, you know, it's also kind of, you know, it's boring. This, it, it's got the same sort of chain restaurants and kitschy shops around it, but it's all like three years old. So there's no character there. There's nothing other than just, you know, it, it, it literally is like a Disney World version of a, of a, of a little small town. Turner Field is, was nice. I, I didn't I never minded Turner Field and I knew they were building a new one. Uh, last time I covered it, I want to say was 16, maybe mm -hmm. 14. I, one right. of those years I was down in Atlanta and I didn't hate it. Uh, you know what I mean? I just, I just was like, Turner Field's nice. Like, Turner Field's fine. a great park. It was in the middle of, of an area that just would not take economic development. They didn't put enough money into it. They didn't put enough effort into it. And it just, you know, it was, it was fizzled. Yeah. It, exactly. It was on land. It was, it was in an area that needed a lot more investment that never got it. But it's just strange how like you, you see some of these markets that don't want to put any public money into stadiums. And yet Cobb County was like, okay, let's do this. Like, well, yeah. I mean, that's, it, that, it was the embarrassment <laughs> of riches. Like you didn't that was need a, it. Yeah. That was a whole separate story. There's a, there's going to be a lot of kids that are not able to play in parks in Cobb County for the next 20 years because of this. I mean, you know, and the way that that one went through was, was highly suspect as well. The political uh, backroom dealings on that. So it was, you know, there, there's a lot it, for all the, the good feelings that the Braves have, you know, the Braves should be thanking heaven if they won a World Series because there's a lot burbling under the surface that that team has, has pissed off a lot of people and, and is going to piss off a lot of people for decades to come. There, this uh, Atlanta podcast, I like this. I, <laughs> no, no, no. I have said Atlanta, Miami, Phoenix are the three worst sports towns, not worst towns. They're mm -hmm. great towns. But those three areas are the three worst sports towns in the United States. And what I what I see is I'll get someone from Miami. I'll get someone from Phoenix and you could be Atlanta and we'll do three. We'll do a <laughs> month of brutal sports. Like when you think of Denver, you think of great sports town. When you think of Chicago, you think of great sports town. When you think of Atlanta, because if you're going to bring up Atlanta, you have to bring up the dream. Right. You can't avoid the dream. You can't avoid you lost two hockey teams. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> so it, 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 you know, there's the, the good, the bad and the ugly are it, it's, it's a real interesting story that has yet to be told that my, that's my, a really fascinating idea. My counterpoint would be that you've got to if, if you're going to bring in uh, pro teams, then you've got to bring in for Atlanta, at least you've got to bring in college teams. And in that 
Atlanta absolutely smokes sure. almost ever every other uh, and sure. so much of the Atlanta fan base and I'm not I'm not defending Atlanta's pro sports fan no no I know he's this is a, this is a front running town to, to end all front running towns but uh, but yeah I mean the, when you bring in the college aspect which a lot of people you know in in, in parts outside of, of the south don't really factor in that's a huge component of it and, and Atlanta does holds up pretty well but yeah losing two hockey teams even though it wasn't entirely like the fans fault there was a lot of mismanagement Oh, there's on. a stigma about you know, that stuff. It's, Ask it, the folks in Seattle if they're still hurting from the. Sun. Oh yeah. Oh Jesus. I mean, you know, so so much. Yeah, definitely. So there, there's definitely that. We had a Jerome Jerenovich on when he announced his retirement. Um, uh, longtime Bally Sports uh, Braves and Hawks pre and post game guy. Sure. He was very um, critical too. He said that um, it's not an automatic. It's not an unconditional love like some teams like. A Denver fan is unconditionally connected to the Broncos, you know, blood, sweat, tears, win, lose, draw, whatever happens, they wear it on their sleeve. And that's not the Atlanta pro sports. Fan. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm the, putting words in his mouth and I don't mean to, but no, it, it's, 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 kind it's, a of valid, the it's a valid critique. And, and the problem with Atlanta sports fans is that, you know, you, you, for, for decades, you got used to just getting your ass handed to you and losing, just, just losing over and over and over again in every single sport. And then when you get almost there with the Braves in the nineties, what happens? They've got the best team in baseball year after year and they keep losing. It's like, it's like, it's almost worse to have that hope and have it snatched away from you. So there's not that generational kind of fandom, but you know, I think that, I think that if the current Braves iteration can continue to succeed, if the Hawks can continue to succeed, you start to build that long-term foundation of fandom that Atlanta, at least in the 80s and 90s, just didn't have. That's really fascinating. Uh, Jay, this has been a pleasure, man. Um, I kind of knew, because I, even though I ne- we've never spoken before, I've heard you so much on another <laughs> podcast. I knew you'd be great. Oh, thank you, my friend. It's, it's, it's fun. It's good stuff. Great questions. Good to, good to chat. No, uh, how can people find you online? Uh, Twitter is where I most often am, am to my to my great dismay and curse. Uh, is it J A Y B U S B E E, and then uh, another links there to get to all of my work on Yahoo and, and uh, elsewhere. Oh, and you replied to a tweet I sent you. That that's how we met, and that was fantastic. Yeah, I really do appreciate that a ton. Uh, Jay Busby, and by the way, uh, since Jay gave out his Twitter handle, if there's anything in this podcast that you heard that you uh, disapprove of or have an issue with, do me a favor, <laughs> reach out to Jay directly and leave me the hell. Exactly. Yeah, don't don't tag Seth in this. Just just you come straight at me, and there will be plenty of that, I'm sure. That's Jay Busby. Uh, thanks for everybody who listens and subscribes, and also to our sponsors. We'll be back. It's Thanksgiving week next week, but we are doing sports with friends, uh, so there'll be a new episode next Wednesday right here. Thanks for listening. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay. I got to be me. You'll never be in doubt. That's what it's all about. You can't take me for granted and smile. Yeah, I'm crazy, I'm gone Forget reaching me by phone Because I promise I'll be gone for a while When you see me again I hope that you have been The kind of person That you really are now You got to get in straight How could I ever be late When you 
Tell my woman, taking up my time.